Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast where we interview MedTech leaders about the critical data-driven decisions they make during their product development projects. I'm your host, Andy Rogers. All right. Hey, Andy. Hey, Jeff. First episode ever. Very exciting. Yeah, for sure. Not the last, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, not the last. Let's get into it. Man. I guess yeah. I'll, we, since it's our first episode, we should probably introduce ourselves, don't sure. you think? All right. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go uh, first? I'll, I'll go first since this All was right. my doing, uh, this, <laughs> this interview. So I'm Andy Rogers, uh, VP of Business Development at KeyTech. Been here 15 years, um, and one of the one of the gray beards, literally. Kind of see here. <laughs> uh, I'm Jeff Gunnarsson. I'm a electrical engineer, senior electrical engineer, and partner. And also, I'm not gray quite yet, but I'm in the double digits. So just just have my tenure here at KeyTech. Awesome. So uh, the topic, the grand reveal here, is uh, you know we, we want to talk about our diagnostics customers um, yeah. developing assays, right? We're, we're thinking of startup companies and companies that are really just trying to get on the market with a diagnostic assay. Yeah. Uh, think COVID diagnostic or infectious disease diagnostic. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what is it that, uh, that our customers need to be concerned about when they translate from the bench to the real world? Right. Right. Yeah. Cause it's a different world for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm usually the one that's like meeting them for the first time. They're very excited. And I still learn a little bit about it. And then I bring Jeff into the room. And then I, I got to deliver on all your promises. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we commit, before we commit, there's usually that dialogue, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we want to talk today, right, about kind of how to approach these assays, right, that have been demonstrated on a bench in a lab, university right. lab, or, you know, a global company's lab, for example. Yeah. And how to what do you need to focus on from a risk perspective how do you de-risk what's been demonstrated in a lab and uh you know build the foundation for a successful commercial product de-risking assays for automation right yeah, so yeah. what are the areas that we we focus on when we're meeting with customers for the first time that are really excited about getting to the market they're fundraising or they've gotten some some money to start They've demonstrated feasibility and now they're ready to kind of build a platform around. And, and again, I'm usually on the phone with these, these uh, prospects to start um, again, very excited about getting to market and, you know, having been through many projects, you know, observing here at key tech, I, I always ask like these, these simple questions of, you know, wh what are your goals? It's something as simple as that. Like it's hard. Sometimes people yeah. aren't thinking about what are your commercial goals? What does success look like? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's easy to get lost in the weeds on the technical details of this kind of thing. And, and you, you sometimes forget to step back and think about the big picture. And you know, like you said, goals, what are you actually trying to accomplish? Right. Right. Yeah. So working backwards. Right. So what are the what are the key things to think about? Like working backwards, something as simple as where are you going to field your 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 platform? Right. Is it yeah. in a hospital? Is it in a lab? You know, what, how much is it going to cost? Yeah. Um, simple things yeah. like that. Right. Yeah, or where your value is really. I mean, that's the the, yeah. the bottom line question. You know, you, you can try to make a sort of over the moon, uh, fantastic product that does everything, but at the end of the day, you kind of have to pick where your where your focus is and, and what value you're bringing, and, and and like you said, work backwards and try to develop that first. Yeah, and I, I think what goes along with that, yeah, what what is your special sauce, right? Like, what right. makes you better than your competitors? But 
Right. Uh, we can we can dig into that a little bit more a little bit yeah. later. But to me, it's like, what does success look like? When are when are you going to get on the market? Right. Like, what is yeah. that window? Yeah. And are you going to compete if you get to market right. you know, early or late? Like, what is what does that look like? Um, we we, yeah. we ask those questions a lot, and usually it's you know maybe a, an upgrade from you know a prior for for more established company. Maybe it's a an upgrade of a prior platform. So they kind of know like what it takes to get there. Right. Yeah. Or I mean, it's an upgrade or sometimes I think of it as, you know, looking at what isn't there or what your niche is, you know, so you could upgrade a product, but you know, if you're, if you're taking an assay time and compressing it by 10%, you know, it's, it's a hard sell to, you know, to tell a lab director to, to wipe out his, his old gen and, and replace it with your new product to, you know, get a few more minutes out of your assay. Whereas if you can find something that's not being done at all, um, you know, you can, you can capitalize on that opportunity and that, that, that focus really drives your, uh, your development. Right. Yeah. Create the market that yeah. really yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. So they're thinking through what the commercial success looks like, but you know, what are the kind of the, the risks at, at play, right. For, for this platform. And, and that's where I think Jeff, you you particularly you're you're, you're kind of you're leading our systems engineering uh, group group at Key Tech, but I mean sure. we all have sort of a systems approach to things. But you know, can you just talk a little bit about like why why a systems approach kind sure. of makes sense for something like this or an assay that needs to be automated to get to market? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like you say we we all have that systems mentality here, but the the sort of process development of it is is kind of putting pen to paper and trying to to um, sort of elucidate what that actual process is that we've internalized. Um, but, you know, part of the reason it's it's valuable to take that that systems approach to development is you know, you're, you're really balancing priorities, right? So, so uh, you know, every department or every discipline has kind of their, their tunnel vision focus on what they're trying to do. And, and all of those things are important. Um, but when you're thinking about things through a system perspective or system lens, you're trying to balance those priorities and, and find out which one's, um, you know, the most important for that, that program. Um, I remember I have this uh, this visual in my head of a it was a it was a diagram in a textbook from a grad course I took one time about systems engineering where it was showing a view of know, an airplane or something for what every department would think of you know as the perfect airplane. Of course, you know marketing it was this you know beautiful thing with you know a really good paint job and right, it looked like it was right. from you know 100 years into the future. And uh, you know the engineering department it was like a perfectly balanced uh, you know symmetrical on these these gimbals uh, uh, airplane. And of course, the budgeting and accounting department, it was like two planks nailed together, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so it, a, it had a lot of truth to it. And it kind of stuck with me that, you know, every one of those perspectives on how a product should be developed is a, is a valid perspective, right? You can't you can't build an airplane or build an IVD device that's uh, you know, going to bankrupt your customers. Um, but, you know, you do need to, to kind of balance those priorities. Um, so for me, it's about balancing. Um, and of course, you know, if you're thinking at a systems level, you're thinking about what are the risks beyond, you know, the, the, uh, just the, the cost of the instrument or the budget, or what are the risks beyond, you know, for me, the electronic side is what I think about a lot. Um, so it's about risk and, and balancing of priorities. Right. Yeah. And I, I totally agree that, um, you, that perspective is, is what you need, particularly when you, you first meet with a customer and and their assay needs to be held to extremely tight tolerances you mm -hmm. know plus or minus two and a half percent on on volume and temperature ramp rates you know that are that are almost unreachable at times but you know right. that that's their world right that they're coming right. from of like showing that you can diagnose 
whatever, you know, run your assay appropriately and our worlds kind of collide, which I think is a, is kind of a, an interesting and healthy sort of dialogue to say, all right, well, here's the practical limits of, from a, from a systems engineering perspective to actually yeah. automate this assay. And then to me, I think uh, it was on a call a couple months ago with, uh, with Melanie and one of our mechanical engineers here. And, and it was kind of like, okay, that's great. Now here's, here's reality. Here's what we can actually do. Uh, right. And, you know, getting, getting back to uh, the timeline, uh, quarter rate market window question, right. you know, how much yeah. do you want to invest and what are the trade-offs of, um, you know, time to result or whatever it was that, that I can't remember the details of that client, but um, yeah, I mean, there's always this active dialogue throughout, uh, particularly right. early on of like, how can you relax some of these requirements or which ones are sort of like, if we don't hit that from, from a performance perspective, we don't have a business. Right. Um, and so I think to your point of having sort of that systems perspective, um, you know, it's important to, to weigh those trade-offs, right. um, you know, early on in the discussions. Don't you agree? Yeah, totally. And uh, you know, what, what you're, you're talking about, you're kind of handing out a few examples of things you need to think about up front and, and weigh the risks and, and kind of get out ahead of these problems. Um, although it's, you know, I try to remind myself that it's easy to sit here and pontificate about all the things you need to worry about. But at a certain point, if you're, you know, the, the you know, CEO of a company or if you're, you're directing a new program, uh, you kind of get fatigued of hearing, you know, watch out for this, watch out for that, do this early, do that early, invest right. in that. You know, you do have finite time and attention and resources. Um, so I guess to bring it back to our, our, our kind of content that we're going through, you know, one of the intentions we had with that, you know, as, as we've been talking about it, is to try to help uh, someone in that position, you know, a stakeholder in that position, um, try to wade through some of those, um, all of those things that they're supposed to be thinking of and, and try to weight them uh, with respect to each other. And we, we, we kind of grounded all that in a, a product strategy, right? That was sort of the, the groundwork of, you know, all of these things are important, but you have to weigh all of those things against what your product strategy is in the first place. Yeah. And these are, these are like big, Big questions that that have real impacts on yeah. the timeline. So I guess maybe I'll I'll put you on the spot, Jeff, and say like, <laughs> yeah, lay it on you know, what 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 are you know what what do you think is one of the most challenging parts of automating an assay? Um, and and think from like uh, you know like a like a startup company that's that's really showing a promising yeah. sample in result out. We haven't really even gotten yeah. into like what an assay is, but yeah, yeah. we can um, talk about that in in a few, but. What do you think is like one of the hardest parts of automating an assay in a commercial, yeah. you know, diagnostic platform with a yeah. consumable and an instrument, a readout, an algorithm? I think I'm going to give you kind of a squirrely answer, but I, I, I think it's it's still the right answer. Um, I think the hardest part about all of it is decision making, right? Because you yeah. you 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 want to be able to do everything and to have a, a completely automated uh, instrument, and you want to be able to have a nice UI or user experience. Um, you want to be able to have a super specific result, but also have a sensitive result. You, know, you want to be able to drive clinical action. Um, you want to be able to, you know, have this instrument used in a, a laboratory or a desert or a, a tundra, you know, used in any number of environments. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I said there are finite resources and, and you have to um, sort of engage in a long series of decisions about where to invest those resources and what to prioritize in your development. Um, I guess if you press me for a more specific answer to uh, uh, what's hard about it, uh, I would say it's what Keytech does. You know, that's what we're pitching here. <laughs> so it's, it's the engineering and the, the uh, technical de-risking. Um, 
that might be a, a slightly myopic view, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, that, that making sure that a product that is a technology centric product and is doing something sort of on the cutting edge of, um, you know, the, 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 the industry, obviously the, the technical portion of that and the sensitivity analysis and the, the engineering that goes into it is, is going to be, uh, um, yeah, the, the chief challenge there. Yeah. I, I think to, to be a little, I, so great response. I mean, to me, I think the most, um, I guess one of the most common uh, aspects of commercialization that I feel like startup companies who are trying to automate an assay haven't done is understanding how their assay performs at the environmental limits. I mean, it's right. as simple yeah. as that, right? So right. I'll encompass environmental conditions as like, you know, obviously temperature, humidity, but then a lot also with, with like optical systems, you know, mm -hmm. will the optical measurement work if, if you, you put know, it next the, to a window, right. If you put it next yeah. to a window or if, it, or if there's yeah. just like sort of natural vibration in a building that you yeah. know, your lab doesn't have, um, yeah. you know, or thinking through. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's crooked, I mean, that was, that was a, uh, one late stage lesson on a project a few years back that you know, somebody thought about, you know, what if it's you know, cocked a little bit and then, you know, there's sort of gravimetric flow to one side of the instrument. Um, and it's, it's really tough to think about things like that. Cause you just sort of make these assumptions about, you know, temperature and, you know, and your environment and gravity and things like that. But, right. um, you know, if, if you kind of have the discipline to think about those things up front, then it, you know, can save you a lot of pain long-term. We were talking about uh, pitfalls, I think, um, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think we already hit on uh, uh, you know, your, your value, trying to understand where your unique value is. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, I think I keep coming back to the same themes about you know, you knowing your unique value, uh, you know, knowing what your product strategy is, kind of guiding your decision making through that. So, yeah, we we talked a little bit about this uh, before, but you know, knowing your value again, the special sauce. So. Yeah. For example, you brought up um, in some dialogue about uh, does it make sense to go, for example, sample in result right. out yeah. if that yeah. if that means you're going to get to market later, you will get to market later than yeah. if you were to create a platform, for example, that only has your detection right. uh, technology right. and your measurement, and you're maybe you're doing manual sample prep or leveraging another platform that already exists. So right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes a certain amount of humility about it to say, you know, where am I really, really adding value? Um, you know, and if I can focus my my limited resources, especially as a you know a startup company or you know a company that doesn't have you know an existing revenue base, um, you know, you, you really have to to get that balance right. And and it's like you said, if you don't need an instrument to go from you know blood into clinical action out, you know, maybe maybe your core. Um, uh, value is being able to, um, you know, extract DNA from a, you know, a small volume of blood or something, or maybe, you know, from just a, you know, a vacutainer and use it for a number of different assays. But if you could focus on that and, and sort of, you know, um, I guess outsource the other parts of that assay, assay to existing instruments, then, you know, you're going to get to market a lot quicker and, and learn from that, um, that iteration. Right. I'm definitely a fan of that, you know, simplicity, yeah. speed to market, learn what you can pivot along the way, but you know, yeah. there's definitely value at times to go sample the result. I mean, think of right. all the COVID diagnostic, you know, point of care platforms on the market right. today. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wouldn't make sense <laughs> to have to do more, yeah. more, more manual sample prep. Um, right. Yeah. You want sample to result yeah. out kind of right away. Yeah. Right. Exactly. When we started, you know, talking about this uh, months back you know, we, we tried to, you know, you and I were coming up with this uh, framework for what an assay is. And, and, and it's an interesting exercise because on any given project, you know what the assay is, you know, 
you know, such and such a company is taking blood and producing a, you know, a, a clinical result for whether that person has a you know, certain um, genetic condition. Um, so we try to step back and think about what are those, those uh, 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 what's the framework of an assay that you can kind of fit most IBD uh, assays into. Uh, and so you mentioned, you know, sample to answer, right? So sample collection is always at the beginning of, of any given assay. Um, and that sample might be, you know, blood or spit or stool or any number of other gross substances. Um, and then from that sample, you're, you're usually trying to extract some kind of target, right? So some genetic target. So, so from that sample, you have some extraction step. So and that means basically busting open cells, pulling out, um, you know, the DNA using you know, presumably some kind of magnetic capture. Um, and then amplifying that. So you perform you know, PCR, you know, DNA amplification to get you know, ab abundant copies of your, uh, of your sample. Um, and from there, I thought this was kind of where it was a neat exercise, you know, that we did it kind of bifurcated into um, sort of targeted detection, where once you have your amplified sample, you're looking for a really specific genetic marker, let's say. Um, and so it's, it's more of a, a detection paradigm. It's either binary there or it's not there. Um, but, you know, the, the other path and, and one that's you know, more, um, more prevalent um, as sequencing is getting cheaper is, is sequencing itself that you, you know, sort of get the, the uh, basic target you're looking for and then just sequence the whole thing. And then you have that data and you can perform the, uh, the analysis on that, that genomic data. So it kind of bifurcates in those two paths, but both of those you know, most commonly are, are driving some kind of um, result, some kind of uh, you know, information that's, that's driving clinical action. And that's... That's sort of the key output of, of uh, um, really any IVD assays. It's not just the information, but what what clinical action does it drive? So is it a you know is a diagnostic call for a disease? Is it you know whether or not you have COVID? Um, you know, so that that is the kind of full framework from from sample collection to uh, clinical action. And of course, as we're talking about, sometimes it only makes sense for a, a particular product to focus on. Maybe it's just that analysis. Maybe there's some way you can just get raw data and and you have a uh, an algorithm. Uh, that's unique or, or, or adds value behind anything else out in the market. Um, or maybe it's just a sample collection step that makes it so that you can maybe get tested for COVID without having to get a you know, Q-tip stuck up your nose. So there's kind of space within that framework for, for uh, you know, innovation and then focus and value add um, you know, by any number of uh, um, companies or approaches. Right. Uh, it sounds pretty easy, Jeff. You just laid it out. Yeah, no, yeah. no problem. Then you just yeah. automate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, sure. so you've worked on... Uh, like cartridge-based diagnostic platforms and sort of liquid yeah. handler platforms. Right, right. Um, can you just just talk uh, at a high level about, you know, at, at what point, uh, and maybe even hybrid ones. So at what point uh, is that decision made? Because I think like, you know, that really does drive de-risking efforts, right? Like if you have an assay, most of the time it's been automated in a lab, either by mm -hmm. manual pipetting or by an off-the-shelf sort of like large liquid handler. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, what, what decisions need to be made to help drive like that high level architecture and then further that, that, that then drives a whole host of other risks to, right. to look at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a, it's a big question with a lot of answers. I mean, that's, you know, what we spend, you know, months at the beginning of a, of a IVD development project thinking about. Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, we have these, we're, we're talking about this assay automation framework. Uh, or de-risking framework for, for assay automation. Um, and we've kind of come up with these lenses to look at that problem through. And I think the answer to your question, it sort of depends on what, what lens you're applying, right? So, um, you know, one of those lenses is uh, you know, a, a technical sensitivity analysis. So 
Um, it's looking at, you know, your, your assay works in a lab where it's 22 degrees, but how well does it work at 24 degrees or 30 degrees or 35? And how are those limits of that technology related to the environment that you actually need to use it in? Um, so, um, so that's, that's just an example of where, you know, that particular priority is, um, you know, as a, um, uh, kind of a, um, uh, focal point, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of a, a trick question of yeah. you know, when you, you just described an assay, right. And, and, yeah. and someone's going to come to say, I want to take this and put it on the market. And, and obviously we apply these lenses to look at the risk and, but, but ultimately these lenses drive you to like a, some sort of architecture, like liquid handling yes, or, yes, or yes. cartridge based. Yeah, so, so, but, but eat, yeah. I think I feel like going in, you kind of have an idea of what the architecture is going to be, uh, but you sort of answered it. So if it's like um, very precise fluidic handling and maybe higher throughput, you didn't mention that, but maybe that's more of like a liquid handler sort of uh, architecture or and maybe if it's more in like a central lab versus if it's in a remote setting and, you know, you know your fluidic controls and temperature controls maybe aren't don't need to be as precise maybe right. more of a cartridge and a lower throughput, maybe more of a cartridge architecture would work. However, yeah. you need to answer those questions kind of pretty early because each one of those paths really does have pretty significant, um, you know, de-risking to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think of assay automation as strictly that, that you've got, you know, let's say an assay that your, your, your lab or maybe a number of labs have been performing for, you know, for years, you know, it's literally, you know, pipettes by hand with pipette tips into test tubes and you put it into a, you know, a, a amplification device, if, if that assay has existed for a while and it's really just a matter of automating that assay and freeing up your tech time or increasing the throughput of your lab, you know, that's obviously a, a, a totally different challenge from taking a, a new assay that you kind of have in the bench, but you, know, you, know, you haven't had any kind of like FDA approval on it um, and you're trying to make it useful for you know, point of care in a remote environment where it might be you know, 35, 40 degrees Celsius outside. Um, so both of those are kind of assay automation, but obviously very different challenges. Right, right. So, so. yes. Clearly, the lenses are you know just that what we're looking through yeah. as a systems lead on programs, right? To right. Um, evaluate what it takes to get that assay on the market. So we've got right. strategy. We've got you know. Yeah scale we've got temperature control we've got uh, fluid control easy um, use yeah. oh yeah we haven't talked about that at all yeah that's <laughs> yeah that one's a good example we haven't really talked about that that um i mean the, the whole motivation for enumerating these lenses was you know it's it's really easy for you and i to sit down in a meeting with a you know a potential client and you know throw a hundred things at them that they ought to be thinking about or you know ask a hundred questions that you know maybe they have good answers to or maybe it's the first time they're thinking about it um, but you know, at a certain point, that that deluge or that long list of things to be thinking about kind of gets you know, difficult to grapple with. Whereas if you can kind of systematically go through these different lenses, then you go, okay, when I'm thinking about ease of use, I'm not going to worry about scale right now. Right. I'm just going to set that aside and think about, is there value added by making my instrument easy to use? Because in some cases, it really is. If, if you know the time to interact with your instrument is minimized or the, the chance for error or even just the experience, you know, there is an element of... Um, uh, you know, user perception that if it's just a, a pleasant experience to interact with that device, um, that may not have direct clinical value, but it still has value, you know, for the success of your product. 
And you can kind of focus on that and separate out all the other things. You can kind of get to the, the core of where is my value in terms of making this an easy to use instrument? Because it might also be the opposite that maybe, maybe your value add isn't making it an easy to use instrument. You know, maybe it's just automating an existing assay and making that go faster. And your users are, you know, they're, they're technicians in a lab, you know, people who don't really need those, um, those cues as well as somebody, you know, um, who's, who's you know, a, a you know, common person working at home. Um, and then on the, you know, the other side of that, you know, one of those other lenses um, we talked about was, um, you know, scale, like how does your product scale at quantity? And that's you know, obviously a, a pretty different consideration from, from ease of use. So the idea was you could go around these lenses and, and just sort of focus on that and think about, you know, where, where is my value in this, um, you know, this specific focus? Yeah. And you, you brought up a good point, something that we haven't really talked much about, but like scoring and, and valuing these, these lenses. I mean, to me, yeah. like, like what's most important, right. And what, what should you focus on? Right. So yeah. to me, when you sit down and look at something you're trying to take to market, you know, clearly product strategy is, yeah. is paramount. If you don't have a plan to get to market, you don't have a business. Right. Um, uh, and then and I think probably a close second, not even getting to the technology side is just, yeah, ease of use. I mean, you, you mentioned it like maybe, you know, ease of use. If you just, if you're not, if your measurement isn't maybe, for example, more precise than your competitors, but your product is easier to use, there is significant value in that. But, you know, then that drives a whole host of, uh, you know, usability evaluations you need to do or should do um, to show that even if you cut some steps out, of prepping your sample or running your assay that you still get the result you're looking for, um, you know, compared to your, your competitors. So for, for real ease of use, uh, for sure, ease of use is, um, you know, one of the key lenses we, we want to look at um, and, and ask key questions, important questions, you know, to our prospects uh, early on. Or, or you could think about it in a, a converse sense where thinking about specifically ease of use helps you to suss out whether that's not a priority you should have, right? So. Right. It's, it's tempting to think, you know, everybody wants a nice user experience, a nice user interface, um, you know, sort of uh, Apple-like uh, touchscreen interaction and, you know, nice GUI and everything else. And those things are, are great to have, but they do require investment and, and resources. Right. And, you know, it, it may not be the area where you're going to, you know, get the most value out of that investment. One of my favorite, uh, you know, I guess we'll call it a, a lens, it is a lens, is... Um, you know, if you just get, get back to the, the situation of, okay, you're trying to automate an assay. Maybe you've never done it before. You're trying to go to market. Um, you know, how are you actually going to test uh, that your assay will work uh, at, at, you know, at scale? So right. for, for us, you know, design for test for key tech, I think design for test is core to what we do. Um, you know, keeping your assay perhaps in like a planar orientation when you're doing <laughs> yeah. testing so you can actually watch the assay go through its steps, yeah. I think is, is pretty critical. But right. uh, I think that's one that's pretty often overlooked, to be honest with you, where, you know, if you jump to kind of integrating your assay onto one cartridge, for example, and you put it in your, your prototype and it's not working, you know, how do you unscramble that egg, right, to, right. Know, uh, yeah. to know what's not working appropriately? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's it, it, it is really difficult to have the um, the discipline to, you know, when you first get a, let's say you get a end-to-end -end run on a, on a new assay or a new product, it's a really exciting moment. It's a, it's a milestone in every project that's trying to do that. But, you know, the difference between doing that one time and doing it, you know, 99.8% of the time, you know, 998 out of a thousand is, is, I mean, that's 
potentially years of development, depending on, on what the assay is. Um, and you know, that, that is what scale is, right? If you run a thousand assays and, and two of them, you know, fail for unknown reasons, maybe that's okay. But you know, again, it comes back to, to what your strategy is or how, how accurate you're trying to be. Um, and those problems by their very nature don't tend to crop up until you have the, um, whatever it is the prototypes or the cartridges or the, the infrastructure in place to run a thousand assays. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be difficult to get that kind of information early on just because you don't have the, like I said, the infrastructure in place. But, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about it and planning for it, it's, um, it's, it, it can be relatively, uh, low pain. Yeah. I mean, design for test in my mind initially is like, yeah, design a, an integrated cartridge that, right. uh, or, that you, you know, automated platform that you can actually evaluate each step along the way. But yeah. I think the right way to do it and the way we typically approach it, right, is break up that assay into multiple steps right. and run multiple tests on this, on the subsystems, right? Right, right, yeah, if, if we can. I mean, it's a, you know, like you said, being able to, to literally look and see that cartridge, it, it seems like a, you know, kind of a nice to have, but it really is almost critical that, you know, if if you're boiling fluid while you're running PCR, your, right. your instrument's not really going to detect that. And you're not going to know it until it ejects it. And you see the burn marks on the cartridge and the, yeah. the weird you know, burnt fluid and corrosion. Um, if you can see that happening in real time, you can figure out, you know, did it happen on the first cycle or am I you know, building up thermal energy in my cartridge and it's happening on the 39th cycle? Being able to see that in real time is, you know, can save you weeks, if not months of, of uh, you know, debugging or engineering effort. Right. Yeah. So uh, while we're talking about testing, um, <laughs> I think uh, you, coming back around to also what, what is an assay for? It's for generating a measurement, reporting a result one way or the other, and uh, an often overlooked um, aspect of, I guess, de-risking, right, is like evaluating the data that's been collected right. and, and, you know, what what data needs to be sort of handled and how, that, how does that impact the architecture of the system? You want to talk about, about that in your experience? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's, there's kind of two pieces to it. If you think about it from a um, sort of data and, and algorithm perspective, um, there's the algorithm it's, uh, itself, right? So you're, you're getting some kind of raw data, which itself is probably not going to tell you what you need to do. And then you're doing some kind of algorithm on that to produce a result. Um, and the other piece of it is just the, um, I guess you could call the infrastructure to to generate and handle that data, um, which is you know whether you have a computer inside of this device or what kind of processor it is or, or how you're just moving that data around, whether you're doing that processing on the instrument or if you're offloading it to a you know a you know a, a laboratory system, you know, um, an LIS or something. Um, so kind of the the architecture or framework of of that data and processing. Um, and the, I think the second one is becoming a little bit more of a a, a a big consideration on, on IVD platforms just because of how um, commonplace sequencing is becoming, right? So when you run sequencing, you're generating, you know, terabytes of data that, that has to, you know, be generated and stored somewhere and transmitted. And, you know, as, as fast as computers and, and ethernet systems are, it's, it's still a, a non-trivial consideration of where you're putting that data and how you're storing it long-term, how you're processing it. Um, so you know those those considerations are um, uh, uh, can can be sort of hidden since they're um, you know, they're kind of software considerations and um, you know we all kind of joke about how you could fix problems in software which is you know not true you shouldn't just uh, fix everything in software um, but you know that 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 quip is kind of based on the uh, the idea that it's hard to see what's going on there you know, algorithmically and, and from a data processing perspective so 
I don't know if that quite answered the, your question, but uh, no, it, it it did. I think the the two part aspect of it definitely makes sense to me. I mean, one of the things I see a lot is like, you know, what sample of blood were you using, right? Like simple questions like that. If they're not documented well or consistent, you don't really know um, what the data really means, right? Uh, That's number one. Yeah, Demonstrating yeah. your measurement first, like what what were the conditions, yeah. and then and then secondly, yes, to your points about. Architecting the right platform, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, you know, when you, when you think about data, you know, there's kind of, again, two pieces to it. There's there's the data that you're generating as a product of processing. Right. But I, I think you're, you're talking about data um, for your program, right? You know, the data on how many runs out of a thousand were successful or um, how many milliliters of blood did you need for this run or, yeah. you know, what was the exact temperature of your, your you know, thermocycling subsystem throughout. Um, which in a lot of ways is an even more challenging problem, right? Because you don't have the the infrastructure for that data collection at the start. And you also don't necessarily know what data it's going to be that you're going to care about. So yeah. it, it would be nice to, and, and, you know, we, we've had this experience, you know, in our, our, our obviously years of, of developing products where, um, you know, a, a client might be really, really conscientious about trying to get a lot of good data on their instruments. So, um, we've even had clients who've, who've kind of drafted um, electronics diagrams for what their instrument should should look like, at least from a prototyping perspective. Um, and on paper, it looks great because you have pressure measurements at every point in the cartridge. Right. You have uh, temperature measurements everywhere. Um, practical. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, you know, you've got a you know, circuit board that's that big, and um, you know, a long. Uh, you spend a long time uh, developing software for that. Um, so e even in the um, you know the prototyping phase, there is a you know a sort of trade-off or or cost-benefit analysis to be done on um, you know how much do you care about gathering data versus you know how quickly do you want your prototype so that your your assay team can start you know developing that that automated assay on your yeah. platform. Yeah, deep thoughts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. It's yep. tough. Yeah, and yeah. I think that just that's a great uh, point to kind of circle back to this systems approach, right? Like all these things right. need to be considered how long until not only until you get yeah. to market, but how long until you get a platform or subsystems to actually beat on them and get data to inform kind of the next phase of development. Are supposed to say like and subscribe now? Is that what we yeah. say that? Yeah, yeah, make sure to click that like button and uh... yeah. swipe up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or left or right, right. Yeah, right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this is an Instagram. Yeah. Cool. I think we did it. All right, man. Yeah. Yeah. We did. The first episode is a wrap. Yeah. Wonder about it's cool. All right. When's the next one? <laughs> we'll see. I think you're good. I think you're good for a while. All right. All right. Tune in next time. <laughs> all right. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, www.keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks.